Live from the bridge at the Launchpad Studios in Huntington, New York, it's Sports Talk New York with your hosts, Mark Rosenman and A.J. Carter. Sports Talk New York is sponsored in part by Cardboard Memories, Clearview, Long Island, the law firm of Decalator, Cohen, and DePrisco, the Phoenix Tube Company, Pims Incorporated, fueling brand performance for 30 years, Prince Associates for all your insurance needs, and Soho Table Hockey. Here are your hosts, Mark and AJ. Joining us now is a man who was one of baseball's best hitters. He was an all-star during his first eight seasons. He was the 1964 American League Rookie of the Year, added the American League Batting Championship three times, an American League hit leader five seasons, and a Gold Glove winner one season. After eight seasons in the majors, his career was hampered by a series of severe knee injuries, forcing him to become a designated hitter during his final four years in baseball. He still ended with a career average of 304, and this past week he was elected to baseball's Hall of of fame. It is a thrill to welcome the newest member of baseball's Hall of Fame, Tony Oliva to Sports Talk New York. Welcome, Tony, and congratulations. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's nice to be here. Yeah, here in Minnesota, a lot of snow. You know, we got a lot of snow yesterday, but that's a beautiful day. <laughs> you know, I know from reading your autobiography, you give credit to your dad for providing hours and invaluable evening batting practice. What was the most important thing you learned from your dad about hitting? Well, you know, my, my dad always, uh, he told me, sit down and watch the ball away. I hit the ball all over, you know, left field, right field, and practice, you know. Uh, uh, you know, every time I have the it, it opportunity in, in, in Cuba, uh, I they have my little brothers to throw me some balls, you know, get you the wall, any kind of balls, you know, we got, we got rubber balls, or sometimes we, we make their own balls, and, and those balls, you know, they're moving all over the ball, <laughs> ball you know, all, all over the, the wall. And, and one time I make a bet with my brother, I tell him, if you stroke me out, I, you know, I pay you like a nickel or something like that, you know. <laughs> but um, <laughs> sometimes he spent a whole day trying to stroke me out, you know, and he was able to, you know. I, uh, every, time, every time I have the opportunity, I make sure to try to hit some balls, you know, and get to the wall or go to the, to the little diamond my father built in the... Uh, and the farm where I grew up for the kids in, in the neighborhood to play anytime we want to play, you have the opportunity to play after school or after work. You know, you get noticed by the Minnesota scout, Joe Cambria, who had a legendary scouting career in pre-Castro Cuba. Um, he produced dozens upon dozens of prospects, several um, uh, eventual major leaguers, including Pedro Ramos and Camille Pascual. What do you remember about signing that first contract with Joe for the Twins? Well, I, 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 first of all, um, you know, what happened uh Cambria saw me, it was because of Fernandez Tapene, Roberto Fernandez Tapene. Uh, he played for Washington Senator and manually uh, for many years, and he was uh, the guy who saw me play and recommended me to Joe Cambria. And I, I can't believe it, you know, that, that he... <laughs> He uh, recommended me to go and play professional ball because I don't, I don't have no idea what was professional ball me. But uh, uh, I don't know if I was good enough for, for professional. I was thinking a professional was something different, you know. And I was a, I was a chance to play for a few professional baseball players in in Los Palacios, 
And the thing that uh, I play, yes, so the player, each of us decide they can be a professional, I can be a professional too. But uh, I was lucky, you know, that, that I got this, that grand opportunity. You know, it's also interesting because your Hall of Fame career was almost over before it even started. There were visa-related delays upon your arrival in Mexico City, which left you stuck in a hotel for 11 days uh, waiting for your paperwork to arrive in Miami. Then when you finally arrive in the Minnesota rookie camp, um, you're turned away from the local hotel. So can you tell our listeners a little bit about that ordeal? Hey, every country... They have his own rule, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't have any idea that, that the black people and the white people, they don't can stay in the same place, you know? Uh, I, don't sp- I don't speak one word in English, but this guy is uh, another Cuban guy, Padilla, who was a white ball player. He explained to me that I'm supposed to go to a different place. And this is why we went and stayed in some people's house. So that late arrival basically cuts into the time that you had to impress the scouts and coaches at the at the Minnesota rookie camp. You get to appear in four inter-squad contests in the five remaining days that you were there. You go seven for ten, and then you're given a quick release. You're told to pack your bags and go home. But Joe Cambria saw something in you, stepped in, gets you a roster spot with the short-season rookie league ball in Virginia. That shortly after the 1961 Bay of Pigs invasion that set in motion Events that would soon begin isolating stateside Cuban players from their families back on the native, you know, island. How difficult was it at this point, not speaking the language, knowing that now you're here on your own and, you know, you really need to try and make a career with baseball? Well, I have a choice, uh, one little big choice, uh, only after they released me, because they released me, I went to Charlotte, uh, North Carolina, and uh, I was in Charlotte waiting to come back home, and they take me to the ballpark and recommend me to the uh, the general manager for the Charlotte Ball Club and tell them that I was a good ball player uh, if they want to, if he can give me a chance. We went to the office in the last day, and he told me that there was two more Cuban and me. You have a choice, uh, or if you have a family here in United States, you can stay here on your family for another four or five months because of the visa we have, or come back home, yeah, I tell you, look, if I not can play baseball, I want to come back home. I don't have no family here. I want to come back home. And that was what uh, they decided to keep me back and sign me to the rookie league because I know I was worried to come back home. I was worried to want to come back home. What my teammate, what my friend could say was in Cuba. Oh, he was in the United States for more than half. Uh, he, you know, make you know. Uh, <laughs> before I went, before before I, I left, I hear people behind. Uh, they come from Havana, you know. Another ball players, they know I was a professional. That was signed, and they keep me say, "Oh, that, that kid, he, he don't make it." You know what I mean? <laughs> there was, there was, and now I'm feeling very bad. If I come back home and not have the opportunity. Uh, uh, to show nobody believe me. Uh, yeah, yeah, really. The, the, the short time they gave it to me in the spring training, I showed that I, I was able to hit. I got a 10, 7 hit and 10 times bat. But my field didn't was that good. Uh, I was trouble fielding the ball. <laughs> but uh, 
I was doing all, all the other things good. I was able to throw and throw everything. Yeah. Uh, 19, 1963, you're invited to spring training with the Twins. There you become friends with, and a teammate, uh, for, fellow Cuban shortstop, Zoilo Varsays. How did Zoilo help you during those early years? Well, I you, I mean, I saw you before. I really saw you before in 1961 when the Minnesota, uh, you I don't have no place to go. And the, when the rookie league finished, I hit 400 and plus. They know I was a good prospect. They, in the last month of the season, I stayed here with the ball club. I stayed here in Minnesota. Uh, and Camilo Pascual was here, and so was I, Pete Ramos, Julio Becke. He picked me up in the airport uh, to bring me uh, uh, to the ball club. Uh, and you see, I was a lot. They have four big league Cubans in the ball club. And so was I, and we became very close, like brothers. Uh, Julio Becke was a... Uh, Older than most, uh, he was a very big part. Uh, there uh, was uh, the guy for uh, Julio and uh, Camilo Pascual and Pete Ramos. You know, Pete Ramos, he took care of me many times, and Camilo Pascual, you know, very strict. You know, I have a very good advice. I have a lot of great Cuban ball players in the ball club. Plus, Otto Barre and Danny Green and Mocha uh, Grant was a ball club. Hammond Clevero, Jim Perry. You know, I have it. I was lucky to come from Minnesota Twins and the uh, work for Minnesota Twins and play for Minnesota. Uh, you know, Carbon Griffin, he became like my second father, you know, the owner of the ball club. I think it was very, very good for me because, believe me, the first four or five years was very tough because uh, you're here by yourself, Alonso, uh, no family, no nothing. People don't have any idea what uh, the Spanish ball player had to go through, you know. Uh, and especially if you come from Cuba, that later you don't have it, you know, no, no, you don't can come back home and uh, no family, no nothing. Uh, it's very tough. But uh, for me, uh, it was very, very important because of my family, my God, and my job was my priority. If I have a chance to to show them I can play, I this is what I want to do. You know, you mentioned all that, which makes that rookie season even more remarkable. You have one of the most productive rookie campaigns in Major League history. Your complete statistical line has never been matched by any other big league rookie since. Uh, league best 323 batting average uh, led the league. Your league leading 374 total bases, you know, far surpassed the MVP Brooks Robinson by 55. You trailed only Boog Powell and Mickey Mantle in slugging percentage. You led the league in five additional offensive categories. Hits, doubles, extra base hits, runs scored, and runs created. Your 217 hits were the only league total above 200 that year. With all those external pressures that you just talked about, not knowing the language, being alone, were you surprised at how much success you had in that first season? You know, <laughs> I, I'm not surprised, but I'm surprised because, hey, those kind of seasons come in, they're like, uh, it's a dream, dream, dream year, dream season. The only thing I want to do is hit the ball and play every day and, and play my best. I know what's looking about the other thing, but I, I have a pride in myself that, that I practice in the right way. 
I don't say I applied the way a lot. I applied the right way, uh, the right way. I was smart. Yeah, I was able to, uh, to, to, to learn, you know, the pitches right away. And I practice. When I say I practice, I hit, I don't hit only fastball. I, when my body practice pitching, uh, somebody who pitched that day who throw me some breaking ball, he throw me slider, all that stuff, to prepare myself the same way I going to play the game. If he was a right, left, left hand, left hand, the pitcher, pitcher that day, I like to see a left hand, the pitcher, pitcher to me in batting practice. Or at least I see, I see his hands. You know, this is one important. Uh, people don't believe in that. Some people now don't believe in that, but the old fashioned people, they used to do it. And, you know, uh, we had to take a, some kind of uh, advantage and edge for the game because if we don't produce and produce good, you know, we'll be around. You know what I mean? Yeah, I took a player myself. I want, I want to be one of the best there. I don't want to, to go over there to count. Yeah, I can look in bed, one pitch or two, but I make, I try to make an adjustment. I try to make sure to hit the ball in some play. And this is one of the reasons that I did what I did. Surprised me that I hit that many home runs the first year. And uh, I hit 32 home runs because I know I have a power. I can hit the ball to left field and right field on power. But 32 home runs, that is for the home run here, like Kiribu and those guys. But, uh, uh, you know, this is the only thing I was surprised. But it not surprised me, uh, my, uh, you know, my average, all this time because I know I go hit the ball. You follow up that rookie season, win another batting title, but more importantly, your team goes and wins the American League pennant. What did that winning the American League pennant mean to you, you know, looking back on your career, getting to a World Series with, with the Twins? Well, you know, that get to be an American League uh, champ pennant, that was a dream because every player who played the game, uh, yeah, we go up on the at the end spring training, that we be the best and that late, that, that that year, and you know, get to the World Series, and we got the chance to get to the World Series. I know we lost against the Dodgers and Sandy and Josh Dead, all those guys, and we lose in seven games. But uh, because it's, it's only 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 best, only thing can be champ. Uh, Bob was the champ. The Dodgers was the, the National League champ. But we were the American. Champion. One thing go win, uh, and we played seven games, and they get a little, they get a more local than us, and they beat us. But uh, you know, can take uh, how happening uh, the people was, you know, the only ball club, defense, especially defense. When you see defense, so happened, the players so happened. This is what counts because this is, the people understand that, that this is a, it's a job. Like any, uh, like any other job, but it's special for uh, for for us. It's special for me. It's special because it's something that so many people watching. Something that's a gift that people have to be very happy and very thankful for to, to play these ball games. Because I've been, I tell you, I go be honest. I've been baseball over 60 years. Baseball, from from the beginning I stay to now, 
and 99% of the ball players coming from middle class and poor, poor family. Now, you know, we got a chance to get work and get on top of the mantle, however, but uh, it's like that. And we know how hard our parents and grandparents and friends have to do it to help us to get in the place where we are and be able to play professional ball and be able to play in the big league. Uh, I appreciate very much every moment and all those people who helped me to be able to achieve that. You know, it's also interesting. You mentioned that, you know, you took the Dodgers with Sandy Koufax and Don Drysdale to seven games. You look at that Twins team, you know, Harmon Killebrew, Hall of Famer, you and Jim Cott, you know, Hall of Famers, the pitching rotation headed up by Camilio Pasquale. You know, after that first one, could, did you ever think that that was going to be the only time that twin team would get to a World Series? Well, you know, those are not, not exactly. I think we maybe have the, the opportunity that, uh, again in the World Series because uh, uh, there was some good thing, you know, a lot of good thing. It was a ten thing in those days now, and and was very comparable. Almost everything was the same. Uh, yeah, we got a more power than every, anybody, I think. But uh, in Minnesota, uh, we got a great, great hitting uh, power. We got a pitch. We got everything. But later, you know, uh, Baltimore, uh, they have a great team, too, good, good pitch staff, uh, good balance in the team, you know, and the Carlos Ramos. Franz Ramos helped him a lot uh, to put the, that team the way it was. But, you know, Detroit, you know, New York, Baltimore, everybody, Boston, they have a good team. I think it was, uh, was, was a good balance. And the teams who don't have that much of power, like Chicago and Cleveland, they have a great pitch stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, know, you, <laughs> you know, something. I think you have to be lucky to get to get to get there. You know, to get to the World Series. Uh, because uh, remember, in those days, you had to uh, finish number one and ten teams. You had to finish number one. Later. Uh, was the, the time where we come uh, to win the play, uh, to win the, 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 you know, the division, 69 and 70, and we played in Dutch Baltimore and we lost both. Uh, that was the, the time that, the only time that later we have the chance almost of the same club. And 67, that the year that was a Boston year that we lost the, the, the chance to get to the World Series and the last game this season. Uh, but, uh, you know, I expect we maybe have a chance to get in the, in the uh, World Series more than one time. You know, the, one of the knocks on your you early on was your fielding. And I heard Jim Cott talk about that this week, and he said that you work so hard at getting to be a better fielder. I have to imagine that of all the things you've earned in your career, that gold glove in 1966 probably means an awful lot to you. Tell me about, you know, how hard you work to become a gold glover. Well, seriously, I believe in myself. Yeah, I want to be a complete ball player, I have the opportunity to watch it, you know, 
some of the, the players play the minor league and the big league. I saw that Alcalan play for Detroit. For me, he was the best outfield in the, in the American League. I tell myself, hey, if Alcalan is that's that good, if I work hard, man, I work not hard, smart. You know, you have to be willing to work. Uh, I, 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 you know, I was able to run good. I was able to have a good arm. I was able to throw the ball good. And the only thing I had to do is, is work hard to believe in myself. You have to touch yourself. And what happened? I used to catch hundreds of ground balls and fly ball. I land everything. Hundreds. Uh, I was going to spring time. I remember in spring time in 1963, uh, John McKean, uh, his little, his dear, his dear, uh, when he was about nine, I think he managed to, his dear was the Mar- Marlins, right? <laughs> yeah, he won the penalty. Well, John McKean was on our ball club. Man, that guy killed me. <laughs> spring training, grand ball <laughs> <laughs> because I was so bad, I was there then. My first year at the Rookie League, I never played, I never played night games. I never played that much of the baseball. Uh, yeah, and it was hard for me to catch some ground ball and fly ball, but especially the ground ball. And, um, and he worked on me so hard, him and Dave Wilbur. Dave Wilbur, another co- uh, coach that I have. In the, in, in the rookie league, he led an attraction league. I had to improve myself. Yeah, and this is what happened. Plus, every day, every day during the season, I used to go to right field. I got some people to hit me some ground ball. Uh, not my first year or the second year when I win the, the Golden Glove. Every year we used to do that. Uh, with all the spring training in the season, Every single day we got we do it in field. Uh, and I take a, I take a lot of pride in field. I want to I don't set you up, but I want to throw the ball perfect to turn bay at home play. And this is this I throw a lot of men out on base because mm-hmm. you know, I shot the ball I was able to make the play. 1971, you win your third batting title, 337 batting average, led the league in slugging percentage, uh, your eighth straight uh, all-star appearance. But the, the knee injury, the leg injury, shoulder injuries, you know, really hamper those final four years of your career. But you benefit from the introduction of the new rule, the designated hitter in the American League. Interestingly enough, you're also the person that hits the first home run as a designated hitter. Uh, first inning home run off of Catfish Hunt. Hunter on opening day. What did the designated hitter rule mean for you to be able to prolong your career? Oh, I think that that was a great thing uh, for me because uh, I think if it is not happen, they may be keeping me maybe one year to be a pinch hitter or something like that. After that, it's all over. But, but I see I was young, and uh, but uh, I think that. I know what's the same ball play after that, after I heard my knee. Uh, the DH rule, the same happened. That was the best thing happened to me. You think about the American League, uh, that was the best thing happened to American League, too. Because uh, in those days, you remember, we have a lot of the, the big names, the Mickey Mantle, the Roger Mary, the, the, all these guys, you know, that I get old. And they was they not was in the league anymore, and and you know they was able to keep the guy like me that I was hurt, but I still was able to to hit or clear blue, and that I can stay a little bit longer in the game. 
But after that, they found out that, that that was a good, good thing for uh, baseball in American League because they gave it the, the chance to some players, you know, to uh, extend themselves uh, more bigly. Not only the old players, but some young players too, because you have two or three players who are in the Hall of Fame right now. If you know what about the DH rule, they was able. They was able to achieve what they achieved in the long uh, run. I think it was good. But for me, saving me at least three years uh, after I got hurt because I, I wanted to hurt. I missed the whole '72. Uh, I was depressed. I think that uh, uh, I said, "Man, my career is over. I don't was able to play no more." Yeah, I was uh, uh, one of those things. I'm so glad my wife was so positive. It was yeah. so nice because I remember she told me one day, hey, you look alike. If you can play baseball no more, you want to die. I said, honey, I am <laughs> my friend right now. And this is the way I feel it. Uh, she said, you know, you have to thank you, God, that you have two arms and two legs. If you don't play baseball, you can do some, something out, you know. Uh, she was 100% uh, right, but uh, you know, when you're in your plan and you play this game and something like that happens, you know, it's very happy in you. But you have to have some good babysitter next to you, you know, to keep <laughs> it going. <laughs> so, so over the years, you know, ball players have had similar injuries to you, but the medical advances have been such that they get back really quickly and, and really don't have a drop off. Have you ever wondered if your career had been, you know, 20 years later, you know, with these medical advantages, you know, how it would have helped you and maybe your career would have been even longer? Well, you know, especially, especially if it's today, because, you know, in those days when we played, uh, you get hurt, but sometimes, you know, really, we don't can blame to the doctor. We have to blame, like, the system. Uh, sometimes, you know, you know, sometimes you have a knee surgery or you have a tall ligament or something like that. That's a required time to heal it. And those days, sometimes you don't have the time. You have to come back to play, and sometimes you think you're feeling okay. Uh, oh, my arm, my legs, okay, but your legs not strong enough uh, to play. And this is what happened uh, to me. I think I come back too soon. I think if it was today, maybe it was different. Maybe, I know they say it was 100% different, but maybe it was different. Because maybe I don't have to come back, you know, so soon. I have to make sure my legs hundred percent before uh, I play. Uh, I play in those days most of the time. If I only play when I was hundred percent, I may play two or three games a year. You know what I mean? <laughs> I play her. I play her a lot. I like Kili Blue play her a lot, and Orlando Cepeda play a lot. Hurt. Uh, you know, but this is the way they was. You know, we play a lot of time hurt. Today, you know, do that. Uh, today, if you have any little thing, they make sure, and the doctors and the trainers, everything make sure you're not 100%, uh, 200%. Because I, like, <laughs> I can't believe it how sometimes players say, no, I'm 70% or 80%. 
How you know? You know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> but they were more smart than me in those days. Uh, I don't know. This is no era right now, and now you have more chance to get healing. And that mm-hmm. was the, the, the big difference. So although 65 was the only World Series you played in, you find yourselves in the middle of two of the most meaningful moments in, in Minnesota sports history as a member of the coaching staff for both of the Twins World Series championships in 87 and 91. You're the hitting coach in 87 that wins a series in seven games over the Cardinals, and you basically set the foundation for the career and legacy of another Hall of Famer, Kirby Puckett. You're the bench coach of the 91 team that wins in seven over the Braves, making you the only person to be in the dugout for all three of the Minnesota Twins American League pennants in 65, 87, and 91. So first off, what's it like, you know, being linked to another Hall of Famer as his batting coach in, in Kirby Puckett? Well, I, say, uh, I think it was great. Uh, Kirby Puckett used to call me Papa because <laughs> I say, hey, Papa, you know, all the time, this is the way he used to call me. He's a great person. I, I have a Kirby Puckett uh, and when he was in the manual league, because between 80, uh, 79 and 84, I was the hidden coach in the, in the manual league. And this one, Ken Hobeck and, and Gaeri and Kirby Park, also guys who was in the manual league. I think I got him in the manual league. And, uh, and later, I missed him the first year in the big league. But after that, I come back to the big league and, you know, in spring signing. We sent a couple letters saying in 87, and that was when he came out, that he whole bunch of home run, and he over 300, and everything. And later in 91, I still, I was a bench coach, but I uh, was bench, I was working on the heater too. Uh, there was a, you know, I was, uh, uh, George was a hitting coach, I was, you know, working on him, and working on the heater. Uh, to uh, and we still talk a lot about hitting, you know. But but I different. I I I want uh, uh, to make the hitting simple. I don't want to m- much uh, difficult because uh, it's not that much to do. The baseball for me is the same thing today uh, that was hundred years ago. Or, or you know, uh, I think the only thing we try to do we try to change that the modernity, the way they do it, or however, for me, it's like to go to school. You go to school in the first grade, and you can get better and better and better if you do the homework. If you play baseball today, you have to, you have to learn how to hit the breaking ball. Uh, a lot of people think that you know fastball only. Yeah, they told you fastball, but if you swing and miss, later they told you breaking ball, and you have to hang yourself. You have to practice the same way you play the game. I go to school. You have to practice to hit breaking balls and, and hit the ball to left field, up to the field, right field, any place. And because if you hit if you hit high average, you will hit home runs. And you will feel them better by yourself. It's like go to school uh, go to school. You do your homework and your grade will get better. You do your homework in baseball you get better. You have to do the little thing. You have to practice the same way as the game. The pitches, they only, they only not going to throw you fastball only. They go to you all the other stuff where you have to learn to do it. And, you know, I invite my guys. I say, hey, let's go. But in practice, they should do that and that. And they do it. They was willing to do it. And when I was the hidden coach, we were very successful. 
uh, I make a very simple, I make them very happy. And they produce, this is an game, it's produce. So walk me through that moment when Willie McGee grounds to Gary Gaetti and the Twins win their championship, uh, what that feeling was like for you. Well, it was, <laughs> was a great feeling because that game, man, that game was tough. <laughs> we, have, we have a lot of chance to lose that game. <laughs> uh, and, they, you know, and that, we got some chance to win that game too. You know, it was, it was a both team. You know, there was right there to the 10th inning or 11th inning. That was unbelievable, unbelievable game. And that was a, the, 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 a game that, like, Jack Morris, they say, hey, I remain right here. I don't go no place. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I back and make some good plays. Uh, and, you know, uh, it's, 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 it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Both teams play to the last minute. But you know, when it's like that, again, like that, so much oppression for both. But I think it's a more pressure for the people who watch the game and the people who play the game. Uh, I think for me, it was very hard because sometimes I don't want to watch. Especially when they, they, they got the best lawyer with nobody else. I say, oh my God. <laughs> uh, uh, we laugh now, you know. But, uh, you know. <laughs> uh, baseball, you never know. You never know. Yeah. It's a beautiful game. It's a beautiful game. Yeah. So you're inducted into the Minnesota Sports Hall of Fame in 1988. The Twins retire uniform number six in 1991. You make the Twins Hall of Fame in 2000. When Target Field opens in 2010, one of the fan entries is named Gate 6 in your honor. A year later, they take the additional step to honor you with a lifetime of service of the Twins by dedicating a life-size statue of you outside the gate. But this entire time, all these things are happening. You spend 15 years on the BBWAA ballot, which ended in 1996, then nine different veteran committee votes. The first time you're on the veterans committee ballot was 2000 when you were 61 years old. And when you didn't get in, you said 24 years is a long time to wait. You could die before that. It's better to go into the Hall of Fame when you are living. 44 years after your final game, you finally get that call. Tell me what that moment was like for you when you got that phone call and what some of the things you've thought about over this last week since you got that phone call have been. Well, tell you what I'm saying, I don't have the time yet to think about. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because, you know, I tell you everything. Okay, I don't make it the Hall of Fame for the, for the voter committee, you know. But uh, medium, you know, for 15 years I got enough. But I was thinking when I go to when I go to the veteran committee, I think the first year or the second year or the third year and the first five years, I think I have a good chance to get into the Hall of Fame because you remember the first uh, 15 years I was right there, run over, or very close, you know. Uh, all those years, and later, nothing happened. Nothing happened. Nothing happened. I, 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 but I don't think about. It. I was thinking, that, hey, you know something? I've been in the Hall of Fame for 60 years since I signed professional <laughs> baseball. I come here to the United States. Yeah, the Hall of Fame. Uh, you know, play for Minnesota, live in Minnesota, been here all this time. I really not give me the that that, that big. Uh, idea was to me to be in the Hall of Fame 
because you know when they built the stadium, the, the statue of me in front of the stadium, the Minnesota Twins did that for me. I say, man, how much, you know, how, how big can be that? That was a great answer. I want the big answer that I, that I can believe it. Because first come from Cuba, play in the country, I play, no play, no anything. I like professional in Cuba, no play, no little or high, high school or college or anything, or, 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 or you know, amateur. And be able to come here and see what she got all this honest being in the front of the stadium on the station, Minnesota Twins, uh, did it, did it, did, you know, do that for me. I feel I've been, I know a Hall of Fame, but I think, you know, when you play this game, all these people who play this game and uh, be around for a long time and take care of this thing, this, uh, they, 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 they have a piece of the Hall of Fame. When I was here, there was about 30 people in the house. And when they got that, that call, I like you to see the face and the happening and the cry, those people. Those people were so happy. If I don't have that call, I wish, I, I, this, this, this is the time going to be so disappointing because I've been put all those people who worked so hard and believe me down. And that was the only thing I was worried about, <laughs> you know. But I know what I was worried about, uh, about if I make it to the Hall of Fame or I don't make it to the Hall of Fame. Uh, I thank God every single moment for everything. Uh, he uh, uh, helped me and give me, I'll be able to uh, share on friends and my family and my family in Cuba. Uh, it's a big revolution. Uh, but the Hall of Fame is something different because of the people now, you know, I walk, before you say hi, Tony, now I walk in the street. If I go to the mall or go downtown, I go to the post office, I go to the station, any place, they look at me and say, congratulations, congratulations. Mm -hmm. You know, all those people been waiting for that moment. Well, for that moment, I think this is what counts uh, mm -hmm. for me, you know. But uh, like people say, I don't know, that still don't no, no hit me you know, uh, uh, anyway for, because right now I'm the Hall of Fame. Yeah, I'm sure on induction weekend it's going to hit you. And I also have to imagine that going in with a fellow teammate, Jim Cott, and a legendary Cuban ball player in Mini Minosa as well will make it extra special. Oh, yes. Uh, a few years ago, Mini and me, we were in the cruise, baseball cruise. And uh, and that was the year they endorsed about 16 uh, ball players one time from the Netherlands. And Mignoso was one of the top, him, him and O'Neill. Uh, man, that was hard. I think it was hard for him. Uh, what hard for me because uh, I give him a hug, everything. I said, look, I know this time no way they can miss. You go be in. Uh, he, he, you know what he told me? You know, if I don't make it, thing, I, I, I don't go make it. And, uh, and this thing happened. You know, then they got all those people in, uh, and, and and the other two people who was alive, they, they come out and speak here, 
and tell the hard food was the other players was Minocho and O'Neill and they don't select them. But this, you know, this is life, you know, they have to keep it going. I mean, also have a beautiful career. He, you know, he was mid, mid Chicago. Uh, everybody loved him. Uh, he was the first uh, Cuban black players who played in the big league. Uh, he did a beautiful job, and everybody followed Minoso, you know. He was, uh, he was a great ambassador for the Cuban, and, and not for the Cuban, not for everybody. Uh, because he played in the 50s, in the 50s when it was very tough to play, you know, uh, for the black players and the white players. But for the black players, I think it was a little bit tougher yet, you know. Uh, because, I, you know, I have, a, I have a little chance to play in the city, you know, city one, city, city one. Yeah, no, a little bit what they went through. Tony, thanks so much for your time tonight. More importantly, thanks for an amazing career. I'm so like, you know, I I feel like I was one of those 30 people in your room uh, smiling as soon as the announcement was made. Uh, Thanks so much for a a great career and congratulations once again. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm glad to the Governor Jim Cut. He helped me a lot to my body. (laughs) Thank you. You got it. Hall of Famer, Tony Oliva.